Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. This coming Sunday, 25th, is our Commitment Sunday. This is the Sunday we're all going to come together as a church with our commitment cards we were given on our our seats the last few weeks. The cards we've all been praying over, we've been um, talking to God about and just kind of seeing, you know, God, what am I doing? How am I being a part of your kingdom and committing together with my church family? Um, So make sure you bring your commitment card and you've been praying about it. Um, and you have it for this coming Sunday. We're going to come together as a church, each service, and commit to the next 24 months of seeing God's kingdom grow and seeing ourselves as a church family grow deeper in faith and trust and see what God's going to do in this next season. Amen? All right, so hope you got your water, your tea, your coffee, your caffeine, whatever it is. We're going to dive on in uh, to, like I said, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. This is the new international version this morning. So let's pray in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord God, for another day, another morning, God, of your mercies, of your love, of your grace. God, thank you for the chance we get to come together now to dive into your word. Lord, there's so much wisdom, so much hope, so much healing, God, that your word has to offer us. So pray now, Lord God, open our hearts, minds, eyes, and ears, Lord, to what your Holy Spirit wants to speak and minister to each of us this morning in our time together. Ask and pray and trust this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. All right, here we go, fam. Uh, Nehemiah chapter one. Uh, And this chapter here is entitled Nehemiah's Prayer. All right. Verse one, the words of Nehemiah, Son of Hekeliah. In the month in the month of Kislev, and twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there 
and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of, your, of this your servant, and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Amen to God's word. All right. So, a little bit shorter chapter than we've been having the last few weeks, right? But there's so much richness, again, so much wisdom we can glean. I'm super excited to dive in together. So, um, starting off, a little context, right? Because we're going into a new chapter, um, a new book this week. So, context really starting everything off is so, so crucial, right? Um, so, this this book of Nehemiah, this portion here, is about a thousand years after Moses, but it's about 400 years before Jesus. All right. So in this little time frame, you know, when, when the people of Israel had seen God move in incredible ways through Moses, and it still had more incredible ways to see God come through in his promises, right? This is still Old Testament. We haven't gotten to Jesus. We haven't seen the fullest of God's promises come through, right? But the Israelite people had still seen God move. They still knew who God was. They still saw his works and his promises, and yet, they find themselves in this place um, in Nehemiah's time of, of brokenness, right? You see, um, at this point, the Babylonians had come in and destroyed bo- both the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel, including Solomon's temple. Temple that we, we read about um, a few weeks ago in Sopan getting built. Um, the, the one that David had prepared for her son Solomon with all this extravagance, all this great um just glory right that had been taken down and destroyed by the babylonians as they came in to to take captive israel um and in that process the babylonians captured and deported nearly all the jewish people from that region including you know our friends daniel and shadrach meshach and abednego uh and esther right we read about them recently more more miracles have been happening and so um <clears throat> So coming into this place in Nehemiah's time now, where after 70 years of captivity, the Israelite people were given the opportunity to return to their promised land, to their homeland. However, out of two to three, the roughly two to three million Jewish people at this time, only about 50,000 went back home. 50,000, so about 2% of the entire Jewish population went back home to the promised land went back, you know, trying to find what God had for them, right? Only 2% knew who they were in God's people and God's promised people, right? And so um, the book of Ezra, just before Nehemiah, um, <clears throat> not in soaping, just in the biblically opening the book, right? Book of, uh, book of Ezra um, details of re- the rebuilding of the temple after these 50,000 people have returned. However, even though they were trying to rebuild the temple and rebuild that foundational faith, foundational um, livelihood of the Israel nation, um, they were unable to rebuild the walls of the city because of all the enemies around them. And because they had no walls around the city, it left the city and the people open to attack, right? And so they were constantly vulnerable, constantly, in, like you said, in distress and disgrace because they were so, so afraid of the next attack. They're unable to protect their families or even the temple that they were re- rebuilding, right? They're rebuilding this temple 
you know, to honor God, but it's not nearly the same glory as Solomon's temple. Because at this point, they had no, no resources. They didn't have enough people, right? And so, and they were always afraid of being attacked and the, the temple being looted. And so at this point, they had, had no, no way of rebuilding the temple or really rebuilding down deep their faith and, you know, and who they were as God's people. They forgot who they were. And it's not about, you know, we say it's not about building buildings, right? It's about building people. At this point, they couldn't even build people up because they were so afraid of the enemies around them without having these walls to, to protect them. Um, so the book of Nehemiah, it begins about 15 years after the people returned to um, to Jerusalem. So it's about 150 years after the walls have been destroyed, after they've been, um, been uh, laid siege to, right? So these walls are... He, the walls are still in ruins after all of this. So, uh, so now I'm going to dive in. Starting with verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, coming into this. And we're seeing how um, his brother comes to visit him and some other men from Jerusalem, from Judah. are co- They're coming to visit his brother, right? And he's asking, you know, how's the family? How's it going? How's your trip? Oh, yeah, by the way, how's Jerusalem doing? Because he knew, you know, even though Nehemiah is here in Susa, still in um in, in Babylonia, because of his his position of um in the king's palace, even though he's here physically, his heart is still in Jerusalem. His heart is still with his people, right? And he's at this point, he's about 900 miles away. It's about 900 miles from Susa to Jerusalem. And yet, you know, he's here physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He's with his people, right? And he hears what they're going through. He hears that those who, who've survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. And so these people, he's hearing how these people, his fellow, you know, sisters and brothers, have survived the worst season of their lives. And they're back home. They're trying to make themselves better. They're trying to get their feet back on the ground. And yet there's still so much destruction around them. And it just, it, it broke my heart to, because even though I'm not Nehemiah, you know, even though this is Old Testament, this is thousands of years ago, right? My heart still broke reading this because it made me think, what do we do today? What do we do when we come out of a hard, challenging season and we feel like there's so much destruction around us? What do we do when we feel like we're trying to pick our own pieces up of our own lives or the lives of a family member, of a friend, of a coworker, um, of, of a loved one? What do we do when we see the destruction in, in our lives or someone else's life and those pieces need to get picked up, whether it was something happened to us or by us, right? What do we, what do, we do when we feel like we're a remnant? Maybe we're a remnant as a believer in our family. Maybe people around us aren't believers and we're that sole person praying for our, our family members or friends' salvation. Maybe we're that one person in our family, you know, who's who's working towards a better mental health, emotional health, financial health, right? And those around us keep pushing us down. Or those around us keep trying to hold us back, right? Maybe we're that that remnant who's fighting for a better life for ourselves or for our families. And we're feeling like there's still destruction around us. What do we do? So today's um, today's reading really got me because it was super practical. What do we do when we feel this way? What do we do when we feel like we're stuck? We follow Nehemiah's example. And we're going to talk about that today. 
Nehemiah's example is how we we worked to to come to, to come to God and just journey through this with Him. All right. So here we go. Nehemiah's example, right? Starts in verse four. Uh, he says, "When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of Heaven." So, what's the first thing we do when we find ourselves in this position of either experiencing or witnessing destruction in our lives? We grieve and we seek God. See, Nehemiah, he, like Pastor Ben spoke about a few weeks ago, he preached about Nehemiah in our Miracles Emotions series. And Nehemiah allowed himself to feel his emotions. He didn't bottle them up, he didn't try to hide them. He was trying to be the, the tough, macho guy with you know, his brother and his other friends around him, right? He grieved. He cried out to God. He knew it was okay to not be okay, right? And the reality is this this period of grieving and mourning and fasting was actually the first step of his action plan forward, you know? He didn't let himself get stuck, but it was the first thing he had to do in order to move forward, right? And he he sat down. Also, he didn't just feel his emotions and keep moving on. He just feel his emotions and work through them or keep his mind busy by working, you know, by keep working, keep taking care of the kids, keep, you know, focusing on everybody else. He sat down. He paused. He didn't try and work through or work away his pain. He didn't push off his emotions. He didn't let them keep him away from God. But he actually used his emotions as a catalyst to press into God deeper, Right. He mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He didn't shut God out of the situation. He, co- he took his emotions to God because God is a safe place for our emotions. He can handle them. God's a big boy, right? He can handle our emotions, the good and the bad. And the beautiful thing is, all these signs of what, he, what Nehemiah was doing are signs that God had chosen the right man to rise up and lead the people. He just had served Nehemiah's heart make Nehemiah realize it first. Amen. Because again, the more we can come to God, the more he can work through us and raise raise us up to lead others to him. Right. And and the, the cool thing is, I thought this was really, I know this until I did a little more research, but this chapter one of Nehemiah and chapter two, this period of mourning and fasting and praying out to God, it's actually about four months of time. So Nehemiah wasn't making an impulsive or easy decision, but he truly sought God for a season to answer and see what the the solution was to what his his heartache is, right? Because the issue on Nehemiah's heart, just like the issue on your heart this morning, is too big for him, his brothers, and these other men that came to visit him, or even the remnant of families to do on their own. You need God to step in and lead the way forward. But that can't happen unless we come to God first. As we come to him and give him our emotions, don't hide them. Don't try and bile them up. Give God your emotions is the first step. The next step is we, we read right here. Nehemiah models this prayer for us, which I believe is so powerful and so instructive to give us those guidelines. We don't have guidelines. We don't know what to say or how to pray. He gives us these steps. So he starts off in verse five saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, keep his his commandments. 
See, he starts off by reminding himself who God is, even in the midst of destruction, midst of everything going, you know, broken. Everything is is full of fear and anxiety and distress in his life and the people's lives. He acknowledged that God is great and awesome and a steadfast promise keeper who's worthy of honor and praise. He reminds himself who God is because his God is bigger than the problems he's facing. And let's be honest, it's a big problem, okay? Having no walls around the city, having the people living in fear, being attacked, that's a big problem, okay? The problem you're facing today that's on your heart, it's a big problem, okay? And even if it's not a big problem compared to somebody else's problem, you know, everyone's got different levels of problems, right? Maybe that problem on your heart this morning is a big problem to you. And yet, no matter how big your problem is, our God is bigger. Amen. So he acknowledges that. Nehemiah reminds himself who God is in the midst of everything he's going through. Next step, verse uh, six through seven, he acknowledges not only his own sin, but the sins of his family and his people. This, this wall being destroyed, you know, this the captivity, the season of captivity that the, 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 the Babylonians have put um, the Israelites in, it wasn't like a random happen chance, right? It wasn't like a random, like, oh, he just happened to, you know, come over and destroy us. No, you know, this, unfortunately, this was a pattern of behavior. We, we go back in the Old Testament, we see over and over and over again, the Israelites are being captured or being um, sold into slavery, right? Because they keep forgetting who God is. It's a sin not only of Nehemiah, but the sin of generations before him, of his, his father's family, he says, that we've acted very wickedly toward you. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, um, as Moses is actually giving the commandments to the Israelites, one of the commandments, uh, it says, he goes on to say that um, and for idol worship, right? In verse 5. He's on saying, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we're seeing these generational sins and sin patterns being passed down from generation to generation, from family to family, because they're no longer obeying the commands and the laws of Moses. After so many years of Babylonian captivity, they forgot who they were. Like I said, they're they're back in the promised land. They're physically back in the promised land, but their hearts are still far from God. And God, and He's God's not saying this. Um, he's punishing these children for generations to be a spiteful God, to be a mean God. But if you do any kind of research or you read more books and you do more studying about generational sin patterns or family sin patterns. Um, or things of, of that nature, right? In Christian faith, you see that it's not punishing in, a, in like a, a sense of um, like a curse. God's not trying to curse people on purpose. God's not saying, oh, your, your father did this, so I'm going to make you do that. But the reality is that when it comes to generational sin patterns, they're actually learned behaviors. So you see, for 70 years when the, the Israelites were in captivity, they learned behaviors from their parents or their grandparents even their great-grandparents, even maybe, that for three or four generations, these sins, these um, things, again, sin is anything that keeps us far from God, right? Sin is anything that keeps us straying from his best plans for us. 
So over 70 years, the children didn't know any better. Over 70 years, they picked up generational sin patterns from their parents because they just didn't know any better because their families were so broken. Their families were so full of sin. And it's hard. It's sad. And the reality is that the Israelite people are no different than us today. You know, my, I'll, I'll cut myself out, right? You know, all of us, all of us have things that our families have passed down to us, not intentionally, not out of mean-spiritedness, not out of, you know, because they want to hurt us. We all, we all have it. There's, I was reading a book recently um, by Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he says in the book how um, there's, an, it's called uh, genome, I believe, is what the, the pattern of like, look at generational patterns throughout families, the genome. Um, and he talks about how there are no clean geniomes in the in the in your in the world, right? Every family has things that are broken down and passed down from family to family. You know, some some have different impacts in our lives than others, but every family goes through this, right? Every family, you know, and and that's why we as as believers need to be really following Jesus and really pressing in, to make sure we don't pass those things on to our own kids, you know, and try to make our kids and the generations following us. Whether they're our kids or even kids in our, our church, right? With incredible youth ministry and kids ministry. And we're seeing those numbers explode, the kids coming in. So we make sure we as adults, as a generation before them, or two generations before them even, are being healthy and working on our own spiritual and mental and emotional health. So we can make sure the next generation coming up after us is staying at the healthiest and have good examples to follow. Amen. I digress. Um, so verse six and seven, you know, he's uh, back to Nehemiah. He, uh, he's talking about generational sin patterns, right? He's acknowledging them. He's confessing them. He's repenting of them because we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses, right? And so the next step here in our, our walk to heal ourselves and heal those around us from destruction is repentance, to acknowledge our sin and our sin patterns and those habits that have kept us or currently keeping us far from God, you know, coming before God in humility and submission is so, so crucial. Uh, next verse, um, verse eight, next part of Nehemiah's prayer is remembering God's promises from his word. He reminds himself and he reminds God, right? In verse eight saying, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as dwelling for my name. So when we don't know how to pray or what to pray sometimes, God's word is the perfect place to start. You know, um, here Nehemiah is actually calling out promises from Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26, which it's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, but to give you a summary, um, the titles, the two titles in Leviticus 26, and the titles of the scripture is, Reward for obedience and punishment for disobedience, right? So pretty clear. Reward for obedience, punishment for disobedience. Um, and even Deuteronomy 30 references here. Um, Deuteronomy 30, the title is The Offer of Life or Death. So God God lays it out. You know, he's not, he's not trying to trick anybody. He's not trying to trick the Israelites. He's not trying to trick us now, right? He's very clear. Hey, if you're obedient, there's reward. If there's disobedience, there's punishment. It's the offer of life or death is ours to choose. Our God is the God of his word, right? And his word has both punishment and reward. But it's up to us to choose it. And when we make those, 
those choices, we said that are towards punishment, towards death, spiritual death, we need to repent. But at the same time, after we repent, we also turn back to God and say, God, I messed up. But your word says you can make it better. God, you, you, I, I did this wrong. I sinned. I hurt someone. I hurt myself. I hurt you. And yet I also know that I can turn back to you in obedience and life. And you will work, work all these things out for good. Amen. Next portion here in verse 10. Nehemiah prays. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. See, he's reminding himself here, after all he's been through, all the destruction, all the sin in his family, in his own life, um, even his position. He's, he's still, remember, 900 miles away from his people. He's still an outsider where he is. Even though he works for the king, even though he's in the king's palace, he's still an, an outsider, right? But here in verse 10, he's reminding himself who he is in God's eyes. Your servants and your people who are redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. See, in this portion here, he's breaking through the lies, breaking through the doubt. He's breaking through that mental and emotional and spiritual oppression of his captors with the truth of God, with who God sees him as, who God sees his people as in the midst of their own destruction, right? Because when we can't see ourselves or see others, we need to be able to pray and remember how God sees us as servants and people who he redeemed as children who've been adopted into his family, despite what we're facing or feeling. His mighty hand and his great strength is working through us and for us for victory. And so that's what this, this one line is so, so great to add to our own prayers, right? That I am your servant. I am your, your daughter. I am your son. I am one of your children whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. And that one little line right there, if nothing else, you do today, memorize that one line today. So when you walk into a situation or a conversation or um, anything, someone tries to tick you off this week or today, remember, I am your servant and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. That right there will save us a lot of heartache and a lot of frustration as we go throughout our day today. All right. Verse 11, the last portion here. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So as he's closing out his prayer, he's presenting his earnest, humble request before God. I love this last line too. Um, as he closes out his prayer, he says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And that ends his prayer. You see the quotation, his prayer is over. This last sentence, I was a cupbearer to the king. That's not part of his prayer. That's just him acknowledging in this chapter who he is, right? And I love this last line because it sounds like it's almost out of place, right? This is great, powerful prayer. I was a cupbearer to the king, you know, because this whole prayer is, is full of such, you know, great wisdom and reverence. As so maybe we're thinking this is a prayer of a priest or, or the bold prayer of a military leader or a strategic leader, right? But the reality is this amazing prayer and this amazing um, burden he's put on for his people is actually just the prayer of a cupbearer. He's not in, in a position of power or intelligence. He's, in, he's in, in a position of servanthood, right? And hear me, church. Nehemiah was able to serve God well because he served humans well, all right? Even, though, even those who oppressed him, 
He served God well because he served humans well. See, the role of a cupbearer to the king was literally to do just that, (laughs) to present the king with his cup at meals and test it for poison. Because at that time, you know, kings were were vulnerable to attack, right? People were trying to um, stage coups or attack the king and attack the kingdom. And so the best way that that they would do that is to poison the king's food, right? Because it was was secretive. You know, no one could get away with poisoning someone, you know? It's like a true crime episode, right, back in the day. And so the so the kings at the time would have um, people who would taste their food or taste their cups to make sure they weren't poisoned. And so that was Nehemiah's role. He was a cupbearer, right? And so not only was Nehemiah risking his life by in, the, in this role, because he could have been poisoned, you know? If the king was suspicious, he could have had Nehemiah drink from the cup, and he would have been poisoned first, you know? But not only is Nehemiah risking his life, in service to the king, but he's also preserving the life of the king because he could have easily poisoned the king, right? If he's the one who's bearing the cup, he could have easily himself slipped some poison in or try to, you know, um, harm the king, harm his oppressors, right? Get back at him, take revenge. And yet he didn't because he served humans well, even those who oppressed him. And that was the way God could trust his heart and that he would serve God well. Because even in the midst of captivity and servanthood, Nehemiah knew who he was. He didn't lose himself to the pagan ways of the people, but he kept pressing it and relying on God. And that's how God knew he could trust him. So God knew he was a man after his heart that he could bring together to lead the people, right? Because he served himself well. He, ser- he, served, he served God well by serving people well. He came to him in prayer and fasting. He didn't hold back his emotions. He laid it out all out before God. And through that, God was able to work through him and speak through him and lead his people through him. That's what we need to do today. Amen. Come on. So take a second, whether you're um, listening to this or you're watching this later, I want you to, to take some time to journal today and write out a prayer to model Nehemiah's example. We're going to go through this, okay? So I'm serious. Grab a piece of paper, grab a notebook, um, pull your phone app out with some notes, right? If you need to pause this, pause it, okay? But I want us to journal together and pray together um, and really apply Nehemiah's example to our lives today, okay? To that situation you're going through today, all right? So again, the question was, what do we do when we come out of a hard, challenging season and feel like there's still so much destruction and pieces that we need to pick up, whether it's something that happened to us or by us, whether it's maybe something that happened in someone else's life around us we need to pray for, right? What do we do? We follow Nehemiah's example of prayer. All right. So the first step, we allow ourselves to feel and acknowledge our feelings as we seek God. We don't hide it from him. We don't hold back from him. The second step, we remind ourselves who God is, even in the midst of our situation. The third step, we repent. Acknowledge our patterns or habits that are keeping us from God. Step four in our prayer, remember God's promises from his word. The fifth step, fifth step of our prayer, we remember God's truth over who we are, our identity, what he calls us, how he sees us. And the last step, we present our genuine, honest, humble request before God. All right, got all of our notes here. So we're going to... um. 
again, take some time on your own and journal through this. We're going to pray out together and we're going to do those miles together. All right. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Nehemiah and your example of leadership and servanthood through him. Lord, I come before you this morning together with your people. God, you know what's on our hearts this morning. You know the pain, the heartache, the anger, the frustration, the rejection, the insecurity, the doubt. But God, we know that even in our hurt, you are still holy. You are still sovereign. You never grow tired or weary. You allow us to bring our weariness to you and lay it at your feet because you love us and you care for us. God, right now we repent of the thoughts, the words, the choices, the actions that have led us to this place. In this place, Lord, that you know how our hearts have been in rebellion and fallen astray from you. We've sought and even allowed other things than what your best is for us. For that, God, we truly are sorry. God, I thank you, Lord, that your word promises that we will seek you and find you when we seek you with all of our heart. Thank you that no matter how we see ourselves this morning, you see us as your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Grant us your grace, your mercy, your blessings, and your favor and your presence this morning as we start our week. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray and thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, church. Thank you all so much for being a part of this morning with us. Thank you for diving into God's word and seeking him together. Come on, I'm serious. Take some time this week or today. Give it to God. Follow Nehemiah's example and see how he want, God, how, how God wants to use you and work through you to serve and to lead people in this new season. All right. Blessings. Take care, all.